like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hi and welcome to the Inspired Educator podcast. Really excited to have you here for our very first episode. Today I'm interviewing the amazing Belinda Turner. Belinda is the nominated supervisor of Woodrising Natural Learning Centre. This is a pretty special one for me as we talk about physical play and risk taking and being out in nature, all those sorts of amazing things, the brilliant work that Belinda and her team are doing at the service. And it's special because that's where I started. That's where I came from. Uh, And that's also where I met Tash, the other half of Inspired EC. That's where we grew our love for nature pedagogy. That's where we nurtured, I suppose, our desire to know more um, and to always want to know more and do more and be more. So it's nice to go back and visit and talk to the team um, about the amazing work that they're doing and to share that. Hopefully you'll hear some of what Belinda has to say today and think maybe that's something we can try in our service. Um, Remember that every service is different and what works in one service won't necessarily work in your service. But I think from everything that we hear, there are things that we can take away and think, yeah, I want to know more or I want to do more or I want to learn more. So settle in for a chat as I talk to Belinda about all things physical play. Enjoy. Hi, Belinda. Thanks for having me here at Wood Rising. Um, So we're going to get started. I've already introduced you so everyone knows who I'm talking to. Um, But I just wondered if you can give us a brief insight into how you came to be in early childhood and specifically in this role. Okay, so thank you for having me. I, for as long as I can remember, when I was a child, I always said that I wanted to be a preschool teacher. Uh, Then it came time to go to uni and I briefly went down the welfare study path but continued in working in childcare while I did that and then changed my study back to this field. So I was following the work of this service at Wood Rising for a long time, really inspired by the bushwalks and the risky play that was happening here. So I decided to do my university prac year. And we were very glad you did. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Uh, a couple of years after that, I was lucky to end up securing this position here. Yay. Um, and I think you kind of secured it for yourself when you were here doing your work placement <laughs> because you definitely made an impression, so much so that when the time came for me to head off on maternity leave, I knew exactly who was coming in to replace me. So that was <laughs> nice. Um, all right. So we're going to kind of go into a bit of the mechanics of what happens here at Wood Rising and what makes it so different. Um, so anyone who's seen some of the videos online, I know you guys post a lot on Facebook particularly, 
Um, there's videos of the children in the service navigating particular, you know, climbing ropes and interesting contraptions is probably the best yep. way to describe <laughs> it. Um, your big net, which I know um, is often set up in the playground, but I've also seen set up out in the bush. Um, so lots of different climbing physical kind of challenges. Um, I've noticed when those videos are posted online, there's often a lot of really positive feedback from people in the early childhood community. Um, there's often also comments from people who say, our children couldn't do that, or we couldn't do that in our service, or wow, these children are amazing. Um, so how do you respond to that? You know, how do you respond to, I suppose, the, the belief that there's something unique about the children here? Um, and that children elsewhere wouldn't be able to do that or educators elsewhere wouldn't be able to do that? Well, I think that children come to our setting with the exact same skills that they arrive at any other childcare centre with. So they don't come to us with these skills already built, they build them while they're here. So it's through that freedom, that time to explore and really get engaged with what's set up that they build those skills. They're no different when they start. And I think it's just given the opportunity and the time till children can really build and strengthen those things. And I think as far as the educators are concerned, I think if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Our educators um, set up amazing experiences and I guess it's just the creativity and thought that goes into that. And we've had lots of services visit us asking how we do it. And when they come and have a look, they do go away inspired that they could do those things in their own services. I guess that's probably the thing I've noticed with a lot of the videos and also you know, coming to bring my own child here. Um, I see that you know, a lot of the setups are actually not using anything in particular. I mean, the net's something that's been purpose made. Um, that was custom made for the service. But other than that, you know, it's a lot of simple materials and ropes and you know, just really basic things, um, I suppose, that aren't difficult for services to get yes. you know, or aren't over the top in terms of price or whatever so I suppose you know there's there's that I guess there's also been some questions I know um, I actually went into bat one time um, because someone was concerned about the the softball below one of the climbing things and I went hey there's mats and there's softball below those mats you know there's this and there's that um, but how do you deal with kind of those questions as well or those ideas that you know, we wouldn't be allowed to do that risky play here in our service. I think it's um, knowing what you are and aren't allowed to do, but also having risk assessments. If you've got something that you do want to set up, rather than seeing it as we can't do that, reframing it and looking at it as how can we do it um, and knowing what your fall zones are, having the extra mats available, and having those risk assessments and really thinking about the benefits of what's happening and the risks involved and how you can minimise those. Yep. Well, I guess that kind of takes me into the next section. I'm going to flip it a little bit and start with the challenges because we did talk about some of the challenges, I guess, there a little bit. But, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, when children are working in this sort of physical, physically challenging kind of way, um, what might be some of the challenges that you guys experience here or that other services might experience if they do similar things? I think that challenges is a really interesting word. Um, it's something that we 
try to combat a lot here because we have a lot of positive ideas of what we can do. So instead of seeing things as a challenge as such, um, as in challenge being a negative, we try to turn challenge into being a positive. So it gives us something to strive for and work for because it's something that's going to challenge us in a positive way. I think for some people, maybe they'd find the challenge to stand back and not help the children. We yep. try to let the children do what they need to do and build those skills themselves. If we're assisting the children, putting them up onto the net, putting them into the trees, they're not actually building any of those skills themselves. So I think if a child is getting a little bit frustrated, for some educators it can be the ability just to stand back and not go in and save the day because then they're not going to build those skills there. What about things like injuries and accidents? I mean, that's always the fear, I suppose, with any kind of risky play, but particularly, I suppose, with this sort of physical play. You know, is that a fear for educators or for families? Is there a, a challenge there, I suppose? Do any families walk in and go, oh, my gosh, why is my child hanging from upside down from the monkey bars or things like that? I think in the words of Peter Gray, our children know far better than what we do what they're ready for. They're not going to attempt something that they're not ready to do. They're not going to try and do something that they don't believe that they can achieve. They might take a few weeks to build up the confidence to do that, but they'll do it when they're ready. And they really do know more than us as educators what they are capable of doing. I think that... Um, we think a lot about any possible risk and how we do that. And we talk to the children about it. So we really, touch wood, haven't had any <laughs> serious accidents. Our serious accidents here have been from children tripping over their own feet or um, falling over a chair or something simple like that. I think it's really trusting the children and having those conversations with the children that make them think about what they're doing as well when they're doing it. Yeah. All right. So the best part, I suppose, is the benefits that you're seeing from for children, um, and I guess the new knowledge and understandings for educators um, when you're working in this kind of physical way. I suppose you know. Um, maybe the changes that you've seen in the educators and even in the children? Yeah. So I think that children are so much more persistent and determined than we often give them the opportunity to be. We see our children attempting things and we've had children who have been crying that they're so determined to complete a task, to complete one of the challenging things, that they'll have tears in their eyes, but they don't give up. They keep going and it's their desire to do that, not ours. And I think a lot of the time as a society, we don't give children the opportunity to show those skills. We've learnt lots of new things. Um, we've teamed up with a local paediatric occupational therapist and through working with her, we've learnt lots about what's actually involved behind the scenes of these climbing things. So all of the motor planning that's involved, how experiences are building the vestibular system, but also how those things help them to regulate their emotions. So for some children, they just have that need to climb or the need to swing. And that's, they know in themselves, their way of calming themselves down. And don't you find it frustrating? I know I find it frustrating that those sorts of concepts aren't an integral part of early childhood studies. Absolutely. There's not that focus on... So you've had to go out and seek that elsewhere 
um, you know, make contact with a paediatric OT and actually have those conversations to really be able to go, hang on a minute, we know this stuff's good for children. Now we know why this stuff's good for children. And, you know, I, I know myself until I come across the work of Angela Hanscom, I really didn't know just how beneficial this sort of physical play was, you know, being upside down, rolling down a hill, um, spinning around in circles, you know, the things that probably drive us a little bit crazy sometimes when you see a child just randomly spinning through the room. But those things that are important for children, but unless we seek out that information ourselves, we're not getting it, you know, so your educators here, unless you seek that out and you provide them with that information, those opportunities to engage in, you know, alternate kind of professional learning, they wouldn't know that. Mm, absolutely and I think that's where the work of Angela has been amazing and brilliant because I think it's things when you work closely with children and you are undertaking these type of experiences you can see that it's beneficial and you know that it's beneficial but you don't have that OT background to be able to put into words why it's beneficial yeah so to be able to explain to parents why is it beneficial for the children to be hanging upside down and climbing yeah. trees? What's happening? <laughs> what's happening in the body, and how's that yes. going to impact on their child? Yeah. How's that? And you know, the all important question for a lot of families: How's this going to help my child when they go to school? You know, those yeah. kinds of things. Being able to pinpoint that with some proper terminology and you know, a real deep understanding, I think, is so valuable for the team. And I know, uh, reading documentation from the service that the educators here have that because there's those connections being made. And as a parent, reading that, I go, okay, I understand why that's happening. I understand why my child swinging upside down on the monkey bars for three hours is so important for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like you said, the school readiness one can be a big one. And I think if you have the terminology to be able to explain to parents that you know, first the children need to be able to build those shoulder muscles and then, you know, hone it all in from there, they start to see a benefit that they might not have seen before. Absolutely. So they're not as focused on the child sitting down and learning to write at three because they're seeing actually they're building other muscles that are those building blocks to be able to do that, to be able to hold a pencil well or to cut with scissors or whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, absolutely. I, th I couldn't agree more. Um, any other new kind of knowledge or understandings or anything you've taken that's changed the way you guys work here? I think um, we recently saw Nathan Wallace present and he spoke a lot about how children are actually more successful later in life if they get the opportunity to undertake free play um, where they have the opportunity to solve problems because then they do go on as adults to know how to solve problems, to know how to persist, to know how to use trial and error. Oh, that didn't work. I'll try something else. So I think that's really important as well that the children here, I think that's one of the things, the main things that we notice and that parents notice is that the persistence and the determination to complete those physical tasks don't just stop there. That carries across to all domains and they generally are more persistent and more determined to succeed in other areas. Absolutely. And I suppose that kind of links to, you know, research around risk-taking dispositions. You know, the fact that a child who's more likely to take risks outside during their outdoor play is also more likely to take risks indoors with academic work or with social skills or whatever. So there's a lot of that kind of 
that flow and that connection. All right, have you got a favorite story or a favorite moment or something that kind of really sticks with you um, in relation to this sort of physical play that's happening here? I do. I remember a few years ago we had a child come to the center and when she first started, she really struggled to even walk across our uneven surfaces. Um, just our pebble paths and um, things like that, she was tripping over all the time. She really hadn't experienced what it was like to just walk on uneven surfaces. So we really had to um, work with her and assist her. And then, you know, two years later, she was hanging upside down from ropes in trees and she was walking tightrope. So to see what our environment could provide for her and the skills that she built was just unbelievable. And I think you and I were talking about this actually last week, um, just as a random conversation, but um, about the value in doing some sort of long-term research to really see how these physical opportunities are impacting on children as they get older. Um, and I think it'd be really great to see something there and maybe that's something for the future, who knows? But I think you know those sorts of anecdotal stories are evidence enough that it's Absolutely. working you know yes. though those opportunities to see that and to see children progressing and developing building their confidence but also building their physical skills um, I think is yeah it's definitely something you should be proud of here all right so to wrap it up um, hopefully this will be a key feature of each of our interviews um, will be the who and the what who or the what um, are your top three inspirations? So, you know, obviously this educa this podcast is the Inspired Educator podcast. Um, so we're talking about what inspires you. Um, so it might be what inspires you personally, but also as a service. Um, and it's a who or a what. Sometimes it's an approach or an idea or whatever. Other times it might be some sort of thinker or theorist or someone you've come across. So who or what inspires you? Okay. So I have to say my number one would be the educators here at Service um, because they are putting so much thought, they're so passionate, they're thinking about what they're going to set up for the children, they're thinking of different ways that they can challenge them. And I know some mornings I walk in here and I'm absolutely amazed by something that they've set up all by 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, so they do, they work hard, they think outside the box, they don't just come in and set up the same things all the time, they're really in it to try and think outside of the box and to try and push children, I guess, and they can see the benefits, so they want to keep going with that. And I think they put in a lot of hard work. So I think, yeah, number one would definitely have to be our educators here. Yep. Um, my number two would be the children. I just get blown away constantly by the way that they do persist and they do keep going because I think there's so many adults who would quit that would, that <laughs> absolutely not, that would not do that they're, they're scared to fail so I think the children they just blow me away and I think even you know how creative they are when we go out into the bushland and we take absolutely no equipment whatsoever and they find ways to make an obstacle course so they find ways to still hang upside down or swing around it's just that that I guess they see things differently to what a lot of adults do. And I suppose that's one of the big things that you do here, which we kind of haven't touched on, is go out into the bush. And um, for anyone who hasn't sort of seen the work that Wood Rising is doing or heard about it before, um, it's in a really fortunate position to have bushland right behind the service. So that's, you know, I always used to tell people when I was here that 
you can't always replicate this because you don't have bushland right at the back of your service. We're in the really fortunate position here to have that. Um, but I suppose that has had a really big impact on the physical um, the physical side of the program here. What do you notice different about being out in the bush to say being in the service? I just think that the children transfer the skills across wherever they go anyway. So out in the bush, they're not falling over sticks and logs. They know to watch where they're walking because our environment here at the service is, I guess there's lots of logs and uneven paths. There's variety. And, there's variety yeah. in the surfaces yep. and there's variety in what's what's there. There's not. It's not just a large piece of wet pool rubber. That's exactly right. So I think that they take those skills with them to the bush. And I think even though everybody doesn't have access to the bushland, they do have access to natural materials. So I know we've had services who have visited us and said, oh, we don't have the bushland, but we've got some logs out the back of the centre that we could bring in and use as balance beams instead of the standard balance beam. So I think that even if you don't have the bushland, there's certain natural elements that you can still bring into your service to give children those same challenges that they get from the bush. And I think it's important to highlight that, you know, the, the value in those natural materials as opposed to man-made balance beams. You know, you balance on a big piece of log and it requires different body skills because your body has to move in a different way. It's not always, I can still remember, um, I think it was the first time I spoke, I listened to Angela Hanscom speak and she talked about children using a ladder, you know, and it's like a ladder, that each of the rungs is the same distance apart is so different and requires such different things to what climbing a tree, you know, just a natural tree where the branches are different heights apart and all that kind of thing requires something different again. So I think that seeing the value in the natural materials is something that happens really well here yes. um, and something that's easy for other services to do. Absolutely. All right, I think, so number three. Number three, we got sidetracked, that's okay. <laughs> number, three, number three. I really like um, the work that Angela Henscom's doing in getting that knowledge out there so that people understand the benefits behind this kind of work we're doing. And also people like Nathan Wallace who are really promoting that brain development and why it's so important at this age. Um, but I guess from people like that who are spreading the knowledge, what I guess inspires me the most are the people that take that knowledge and do something with it. So the people who are working with children every day and trying to make a difference. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, as you say, it's not enough to kind of have the knowledge or from the knowledge to be there, but it's to do something in practice with the knowledge. And I suppose that's the thing is, and I, I guess if anyone takes anything from this podcast is that you can listen to it get it into your ears and go, oh, that's amazing. That sounds great. And it's the same with seeing the videos that you guys share online. You know, it's all well and good to look at it and go, oh, that looks great. What are you going to do with that? You know, if that's something that you believe is valuable for children, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to take that and actually make a difference with the children that you work with? That's right. And I think that you don't necessarily always need to look at your end goal or the biggest picture. Sometimes just taking one step well, it's one step more than you took yesterday. That's exactly right. You know, it's right. doing one more thing that you didn't do yesterday that you can do and then you can add on to tomorrow. Yeah, and it's starting to make that difference that you want to see. Absolutely. 
Awesome. I think we covered it all, Belinda. Thank you very much for your time and for having me here at Wood Rising. It's always nice to visit. <laughs> and hopefully we will chat to you again another time. Thank you. Need more Nicole in your life? Here's how to find her. InspiredEC.com, InspiredEC on Facebook, or at Inspired underscore EC on Instagram. You can also visit PlayVolutionHQ.com slash podcasts slash inspired to leave a comment or ask a question. Thanks for listening. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.